The Lord's word today comes to us from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The grass withers, the flower fades. Maybe seated. So as we're looking at this passage today, the very quick summary of what we're doing is this. We're seeing how this passage shows us that a burden and a compassion for others leads to a mission. That happens when we actually see the lost. We're not just around them, but we see them. And it causes us to seek the shalom of the city. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant. Matthew, thank you for Jesus and this teaching that shows us exactly what you picture for us and exactly what Jesus demonstrated to us, not only in word, but in his deed and and all that he did. Uh, So Lord, we um, just pray that you will speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, move our hearts even as we sit here to greater compassion towards others. Help Help our hearts to be vulnerable where we have walls built up to protect us. Lord, knock those walls down. May your gospel just run all over us, Lord, that we be transformed by it even again, even today as we sit here, Lord. Melt our hearts as we sit in the pews. Lord, that your um, burden and compassion for the lost would overwhelm us and that we would go forth looking to be on the front lines of your work for the kingdom. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in November of 2011, uh, my wife and I uh, and some other friends uh, were in Uganda. Um, we were there for the purpose uh, of adopting uh, my youngest daughter, uh, who came to us from Uganda. And we had heard her story. We had heard that she'd been in this orphanage for just a very short while. They weren't equipped to keep babies. And at the time she was there, she was about three days old. And so she was only there for just, just a, a few hours before she was um, placed into the foster care of, of a missionary who was a nurse there. And so we just knew a little bit about this. this in, in the grand story of her life to that point, it didn't seem very significant, but we said, well, we want to at least go by and see it. And we went by and saw it. Um, sweet and wonderful people who run it. And we, and we went and saw the rooms where they live. And there was a room that was nowhere near the size of this stage, maybe maybe just a little bit more than half the size, the size of this platform. And, and in that, they had, they had um, triple bunks, one, two, three, four of them, right? So, so 12 mattresses. And in each of those mattresses, three kids slept. And you, could, you walked in the room and you about passed out from the aroma. And there were bed bugs everywhere. You could see them on the mattresses. <laughs> there were lice in the children's hair. There were termites all over the wood. And I was... Never the same. I walked out of that room and I said, I I, I live in a community here in Middle Tennessee that has resources available to us beyond (laughs) beyond what these folks will ever know and I'll never be the same. 
that summer I was able to uh, take a trip of kids there uh, just by uh, the Lord's providence. It turned out to be uh, mostly kids from Belmead, right? Um, I was working at Christ Prez at the time, and a lot of Belmead folks uh, were with us. And, um, and, 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 and kids who were, you know, they, were, they had to be juniors in high school or older and, and college kids. And they went from, you know, having never been, some of them, out of our country, never having been out of the sort of upper middle class or upper class world they lived in, to having their life transformed. And we've had several of those kids who've now been with us four consecutive years and are going a fifth year this summer because they've had their life transformed. They have seen what the Lord is doing there, and they have said, I'm never going to miss an opportunity to be there again. Uh, one of the ladies who went with us as a, as a fellow sort of leader and chaperone has quit her other job in ministry so that she could do a job that was more specifically geared towards going to Uganda all the time. And one of the, one of the young ladies who was with us came into a hefty inheritance shortly after the trip, and she has put all of that money into a trust that's going to go towards starting a nonprofit specifically for the service of that. So we're talking about global mission today. <laughs> I mean, we're, not, we're talking about local mission today, so you may be wondering why I'm telling you about Uganda. Well, what this text is going to show us is that compassion uh, that, that, that deep level of burden in our hearts that overwhelmed me when I saw this is what we're called to. Uh, when we think about mission, um, there, there can be several things that happen, and all of them uh, hinder us from, from, from maybe doing all that we're called to do. One is that we, we just don't think about it much at all, right? It's not the world where we, where we live. Um, sometimes we think uh, it's just too much for us, and so we can't really do anything effective, and so we don't do anything. Sometimes we think, well, it's, you know, it's, not, it's not for me. Uh, thankful that other people are doing things, but it leaves us not really doing anything. Sometimes think, well, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot already, so we end up not, not really doing anything. And sometimes we ignore the reality because there's so much need around the globe, and there is, different sermon for a different day, and I love that sermon too. <laughs> but we ignore the fact that there's tremendous need right here in our city. So overall, what can happen very much in our hearts is that we can grow complacent towards the mission of Jesus. But what this passage shows us is that Jesus is urgent. The lost are perishing, and only the gospel can save them, and so we must personally get involved in mission and in evangelism. This this isn't a mission thing. This is a gospel response. So the first thing we want to look at in this passage today is that Jesus says they're like sheep without a shepherd, and so it causes compassion in him, okay? Uh, so this is sort of the why of local mission, as we're talking about it today. Why, why would we do this? Because we have a burden in our hearts. We have a deep compassion, a stirring in our guts. That response that, that, that I had in my heart and that these students who I took with me from Belmead had in their hearts when they saw Family Spirit and have gone back to work on it every year, it, it mirrors how Jesus felt about the lost who were right around him in the villages and cities here in this passage. He was moved to compassion and burden. Look at verse 36 again. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And and the word there is just this wonderful word. That's hard to say, but we're going to try it together. Okay, Esplog kinesthe. (laughs) Give it a shot. Esplog kinesthe. (laughs) Right, okay. Yeah, it's a lot of consonants. Don't try to spell it. Okay, but it means in the deepest way to have compassion. It comes from the word splagkna, which means the gut, right? The seat of our emotions, where that which we feel the most deeply, that where it lives, right? It translates to sort of our entrails, or, or maybe more gently, to our heart, 
or to our affections. And esplog kinesthe, to have compassion, as it says here. It literally means he is moved in his guts. There's nothing more deeply he could possibly feel. It's a gut reaction, a deep inward feeling. It's visceral, (laughs) the compassion he has when he looks at the crowds. He will never be the same, (laughs) right? As as it transfers to us and as that compassion that we're called for, it's it's a sense that we see, we really see the brokenness around us and we're moved so deeply that there's a fire in our gut, a stirring that cannot be settled. And it, it lasts. Um, this, this word is regularly used of Jesus, right? As we go through the Gospels, we see this often. Um, and, and when we think about, and when we see the prodigal son returning, his father has this same esplog caniste towards him, right? And the good Samaritan has the same esplog caniste. This is, this is the gospel emotion towards others that we're called to. A deep sense of longing or sorrow felt in the pit of our stomach. And, and, and why? Because, because he looks at me and he says, they are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, right? Uh, there's a sense of helplessness to the lost, right? They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, Romans 125, right? Um, and, and they're harassed. They, they've been neglected. They've been neglected by those who are supposed to lead them. And around us sometimes are the lost ignored by the church, Right? They're helpless and harassed. Um, You guys may have heard the story of the weary missionary Peter Cameron Scott who was looking to create the African Inland Mission, right, to to have a a network of stations all the way across the heart of Africa so that missionaries don't feel like they're so deeply separated from the world and and exposed uh, to such tremendous physical need. He had this longing to build it, and he was was home on, on sick leave because he was gravely ill on his deathbed. And while he was there back in the UK, he's in London, he went to Westminster Abbey, Westminster Abbey and he, he saw the tomb of David Livingston and he said, you know, he, he looked at it and it said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, from John 10, 16. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold and them also I must bring. And it stirred in his heart. It revived his effort to give his life to the mission of the unreached. As soon as he was well, he was going immediately back to Africa. And he created Africa Inland Mission, still going today, a network of mission stations across the heart of it. We must believe deeply that it is our calling, it is our calling to see the lost, to have compassion on them, and to act upon it. Now, I want to affirm of what I know of this church, and I know you all relatively well for a visitor. I want to affirm that I know there's a deep burden and there's active and excellent and effective mission ministry going on in the Middle East and elsewhere birthed right out of this church. So I want to affirm you on that. You you get it. The lost need Jesus and we must take him to them. I want to also exhort you to see the need right here locally. As soon as you walk out of the building, Esplad Kaniste says that Jesus looked at the lost and it upset him to the core. He couldn't walk by the lost and be, and be cold-hearted. It was in his very guts. There was no way he could be exposed to brokenness around him and not be undone by their need. Like the good Samaritan gazing upon a beaten and broken man and saying, whatever it takes. Like the father with the prodigal son returning absolutely the son returning absolutely empty, absolutely humiliated, and the father can do nothing but overwhelm him with grace because he has that same stirring in his gut. It's the same word. This is how Jesus sees people. This is how he looks for people. 
right? It's not just that when we see the lost, it overwhelms us. He's teaching us in this passage to carry around with us an eyes that look, that look for the lost and look for how we can lean into it, how we can encourage, how we can bless. This is how he looks for people. This is how he has compassion upon the lost. I want us to wake up in the morning with this stirring in our guts, a restlessness, looking around us and saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I'm called to be a part of it today, here. What can I do today? What am I doing? What is our posture? Because it's easier for us. It's easier for us to want to to reach out to our sweet neighbor who grew up in another culture and has never heard of Jesus. That's a wonderful thing, and it's hard. But that's much easier than us having a disposition to those around us who are antagonistic to the gospel. I just want you to think about that for a second. As you think about articles that you read and things that you hear in the news and maybe things that are posted on social media, those who are antagonistic to the gospel, what's our disposition towards them? Are we quick to grow defensive? Are we quick to throw stones? Are we quick to judge? Or as the Sermon on the Mount tells us, are we quick to be merciful as those who have received mercy? How do we look at the lost? Who who do we consider to be unreachable? And if someone is unreachable, do we just give up? Do we just say, oh, well, well, they're, they're in the Lord's hands. I can't do it. Or do we have a stirring in our gut that says they are lost like sheep without a shepherd? They're harassed and helpless and they need Jesus. And I'm cold on the front lines and I have to go. I know that we look at the heathen nations in the third world. Again, I want to affirm that as a wonderful, wonderful attribute of this church. That we see lost nations in the third world, but do we have the same compassion and burden for the secular atheist sitting next to us at Frothy Monkey? Right? Is it the same or are we, oh gosh, dismiss them. I, look, I know that I can be very quick to judge and I can be quick to be tempted to dismiss those among us who have virtually no gospel presence, these image bearers of God who, who have no gospel presence because they've rejected it. But we have to see that they are residing under the thumb of Satan. They're under the kingdom of the enemy and we must pray for a deep burden in our hearts for them to be saved instead of labeling them as all that is going wrong with this country, which it is easy to do. Why not have a burden for them to see a greater and truer kingdom? Now, I don't say this lightly, right? It's easy to type, but this is incredibly hard. This is nothing less than dying to ourselves in a real way for the sake of the gospel. And again, this isn't a missionary thing. It's, It's Mission Sunday, but this isn't a mission call. This is a gospel call. This is a gospel response. Having been shown mercy, we must be filled with mercy towards others, not just the sweet ones who haven't heard about Jesus, but those who are openly defiant and in our face about it. We have to have compassion, a burning in our guts. They need Jesus. So what does this look like? We're going to look at Jeremiah 29 just, just briefly. I need to open to it. <clears throat> In the context of the original readers, the 
context of the original readers is the exile. Now, having just spent a good deal of time in Daniel, you, you know this period well. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But, but this is the context of the original readers, spoken by Jeremiah and recorded by Baruch and, 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 and read uh, by readers sometime later, but still during the exile. And, and they are surrounded by the terrible Babylonians, right? You all just did Daniel. You know this well. And their beloved city is in ruins and the mockery and, and the pagan hedonism of Babylon is all around them. And all that they know is desecrated and, and wonderful places are burned and, and destroyed and they're being mocked. If ever there was a group of people tempted to, to sort of cling to a posture of, Lord, bring judgment on them quickly, destroy them, restore us, take us back home, rebuild your temple in King David's city, this was them. They, they would have, had, they would have feel, felt like they had the right to feel that way. This isn't fair, God. Restore us. Look how the wicked are thriving and we perish. They would have been happy to dwell in their anger and their rage. And Jeremiah, having warned them for years and years and years, and only two people, only two people in the book of Jeremiah respond to his preaching, right? He would have had every right to be saying, I told you so. You should have listened, right? Y'all were rotten, and they are rotten, but I told you. So just dwell on it and learn from it. It would have been easy for Jeremiah to say that. Instead, listen to this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah 29 with verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Right? They're surrounded by hostility and persecution and mockery and exclusion and hatred. And he says, love those people. Lean into the fire. Invest with them. How much does this sound, though it's taking place in 586 B.C.? How much does this sound like 2015 as we look around the world sometimes? But God says, love these people. Lean into the fire. Invest in them. Pour your energy. Pour your effort into Babylon, he says to them, and he says to us. Love the city that hates you. Love the city that mocks your very existence. Love the city that scorns all that you hold dear. Seek its welfare. Give yourself fully to it. Because in its welfare, you will find yours. Wow. <laughs> wow. Right? The word here, welfare, great, wonderful word. The Hebrew word is shalom. And as we know, shalom means more than just welfare. It's deeper. It means that, but it means more than that. Right? Seeking the shalom of the city is what Jeremiah is saying. As you are surrounded by those who hate and mock you, seek the shalom of them and their city. Shalom means peace, and it means plenty and prosperity and thriving, and it means wholeness, wholeness unto glory. The shalom of Eden is what we are to be pursuing, and Babylon is what we are to be pursuing here in the city where God has called us. We are currently in exile awaiting the heavenly city, but we are called here, and we are called to seek the shalom, the peace, the plenty, the prosperity, the wholeness, the glory, the healing, the restoration of the city in which we live. How much more is our call, even more than it was theirs? Because we're on this side of redemption, right? We are also in exile, but what we long for is far better than just King David's city. It's the city of King Jesus on his throne, 
right here, the new heavens, the new earth. That's what we wait for. And so having been freed and rescued and restored and healed, we must look with mercy towards others, and we must praise and spread the name and mercy of Jesus. Now there's a parallel passage here that I'm going to mention very quickly. In Luke 10, verses 1 through 3, Jesus teaching the 70 at this point, not just the disciples, but the 70 who follow him, says something very similar. And so I'm going to read this because there's, there's one thing I want to take out of this very quickly, then we're going to move to our third and last point. Jesus in Luke 10, uh, verses 1 through 3 says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, and behold, I am sending you out as lambs, lambs in the midst of wolves. So this is the sort of how and what of local mission. Should we, like lambs, be weak and frail and easily pushed over? <laughs> no. Should we, like lambs, be aimless and shepherdless? No. That's not the point. The point is for us to fully understand what we're called into. Situations that may quickly feel out of control and out of our comfort. Guess what? They are. <laughs> right? We're lambs among wolves. They are. They're going to get out of our control and out of our comfort. All of life is. Control is an illusion. That's a different sermon. I need to stop. <laughs> but the call of Calvary is a call to die to ourselves in order to receive new life and to live that life in absolute 100% unwavering missionary service to the king for the sake of his kingdom because his mercy has saved us and we take it to others. Lambs are in danger and they're helpless at times. Absolutely, and we will be too. Are we called out of our comfort zones and into the hands of Jesus alone? Yes, absolutely. That is the deal. Are we threatened? Yes, maybe, sometimes. But are we alive? Yes, and faithful. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever, Martin Luther would say if he was sitting here with us. Local missions can cost you a lot of things. It's not likely to cost you your life or your freedom. Not currently. But safety is not really the point. The point is that this is the mission with which he has entrusted us. This is the commission that he gave us. This dominated the last few weeks of Jesus' life, his very last words on earth here. So let me just sort of bring it back to Franklin for just a minute. Right? Our mission here. Now, uh, there are all sorts of wonderful mission opportunities going on here, and it would be silly for me to tell you all about them because you can get so much better information from the people doing these things. But what I'm saying is, do we, do we look at those living in proximity to us, as Jesus did, with deep compassion? Right? I know we get it on a global scale. I know we do, and I know that many of us get it on a, on a local scale, but I want every one of you, I want the pew you're sitting on to be a little warmer this morning. I want there to be a little fire under you that says... This isn't right. This isn't right. There's a burning in my guts for the lost, and I have to seek their shalom. Don't miss the opportunities that exist right here, that exist today. Missional living is a call upon us, right? If, if you could hear that report on end slavery, Tennessee, and not have a burning in your guts, I, I don't know how. I don't know how. That's exactly, that's exactly the sort of deep, uh, that's un, we shouldn't be able to rest when we hear that. How could we not want to get engaged with bringing, being a part of the redeeming of that situation, right? You know, your ministry with, with Crossroads, the, the, the prisoner correspondence, and 
and Harvest Prison Ministry and Grace Works, just wonderful, wonderful ministries we can engage with. I would also encourage you to think about and pray about and develop a burden for personal evangelism. You have been shown mercy. We have to have mercy on our lips at all times. If you live in a neighborhood, invite your neighbors over. Just, just have them over. Invite them to see what Acts 2, 42 through 47, you guys are going to be studying. What is it? Invite them to see what it looks like to do life in community, having been redeemed, having been rescued out of this broken place. Right, the Boys and Girls Club is right down the street. You can go to Preston Taylor. Come with us. Our church goes to Preston Taylor down, downtown and serves and, and, and does tutoring with, with, with kids who are homeless or in extremely poverty, extreme situations of poverty, right? Um, local internationals live all around us, right? Internationals who, who don't know Jesus, who haven't been churched, they're everywhere, right? So the ESL classes that I know take place with, with Servant Group International, get involved. Stephen Young, full-time Japanese missionary living right here, Right? He does ESL classes every day. And I know some of you guys have done this before. I've seen you there. Right? That is a great, that, that, that's one of the most lost cultures in, in, on the planet. And there's a lot of them living right here. Opportunity is everywhere, which is why the Lord of the harvest is calling us into labor. And the third thing I'm going to say, the last point is that the harvest is plentiful. So pray earnestly. Both passages, Matthew 9, Luke 10, both say, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. There's a tremendous sense of urgency. Right now, listen, when we're abroad, if you've, if you've been on a mission trip, just sort of locally, you know, domestically, or especially if you've been on a mission trip outside of the country, and especially to a mission trip outside of the country to an extremely broken place, this, this feeling of praying earnestly because there's urgency, it's acute, right? It means, it means everything, <laughs> Right? When, we, when we are in another culture and we see it around us, not, not, not as much locally, but when we see it around us, we tend to, to walk around and we see the lost and we think, man, they need Jesus. What could I do? What can we do? How can I think of strategies for how we can reach this culture? It, it, it's just part of it when we're in a, when we're in a different culture. That, that, that feeling of esplad caniste grows in us, but in our everyday world, the harvest can sometimes seem mundane because it looks exactly like what we do from nine to five every day. And so it gets ordinary, it can get routine, it can get commonplace. And our burden for the lost gets emptied of compassion. It gets emptied of adventure and, and romance in the sense of warfare. And so in, it very quickly, our, our sense of compassion can get very quickly emptied of urgency. But let me assure you, let me assure you, our enemy sees this as urgent. He sees this as urgent. He would never get complacent. He will never get complacent in battling against the kingdom of God. There are diabolical forces that are on high alert for full attack at the first available opportunity and then repeatedly thereafter against the warriors of King Jesus. And so if you're sitting there and you think that Satan isn't coming after you, you're wrong. He is. It's urgent. His mission is urgent. How could ours be anything else? Our mission is greater. Our mission is glory and beauty and redemption. His, his mission is destruction, and he is urgent. And so we must be. Their commander of the enemy forces, he's without mercy. And so there's no complacency to him. In this passage, Jesus is marching to the cross. He is bound for betrayal. He is well aware that his walking on earth time will come to an end. And what is his concern? What is his burden? What is pouring out of his every word and deed? Repent, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. He is urgent. This is life and death, and I offer to you life. It's almost like in 2015, he's saying to us, 
Will you listen to death and its idols and distractions and the demon forces of greedy wealth and semi-satisfying materialism and empty religious life and dull complacency and just live the good life here in the Bible Belt? Or will we see that there is a battle raging for lost souls? Will we have a stirring in our gut to bring the lost to the feet of Jesus? Will we join the fight? Will we go to the front lines, girded in the armor of Christ and armed with the only truth that cannot fail, which is a gospel weapon of mass destruction to our enemy? Will we be armed with the name of Jesus that makes Satan howl in defeat and shame when it's proclaimed? This is our call as the ransomed people of God to be warriors, to be missionaries, to be ambassadors of the king. He says the harvest is plentiful. Why is the harvest plentiful? And this is the most beautiful thing of all of it. Because the Lord has already done it. The Lord has already done it. The Lord has already accomplished this harvest. John 10, 16, they will heed my voice. There will be one flock. He sends them out in Luke 10 to where he is just about to go. Right? Jesus has his sheep and he knows them. And he will gather them. The harvest is plentiful because the Lord is going to accomplish it. He already has those works prepared. He already knows who he's going to save. He calls us to go out fully armed with the knowledge. We don't have to save anybody. Our charm and our intelligence and our wit and our loveliness doesn't have to win anybody. The gospel is what wins hearts. And Jesus has already accomplished it. The Lord already knows he's going to save those around us. He calls us to go get on the front lines and take them the water they so desperately need. He allows us in his mercy to be the staff by which he draws them, the lost sheep. He draws them back. He allows us to be the staff with which he does it. And it's absolutely our call to participate. You should have a burning in your gut. He is faithful and he will do it. It's not up to us to save them. And I'm going to close with this. And you've heard this before, but I hope you hear it in a different way today. There's, There's three basic calls to missions. One is earnest prayer. Both passages today say, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Plead with him, right? This isn't sweet prayer. Oh, Lord, please. This is pleading. This is on your knees, begging, begging. If you had a friend who was extremely sick in the hospital and you're begging for the Lord to spare their life, that's what, that's what is called for us, pleading with the Lord of the harvest Lord, send out your missionaries. Send out your work. Bring in your harvest. It's desperate. It's urgent. We need it. Jesus, do it. Right? We've been given prayer as our walkie-talkie in wartime to communicate to central command. There is a war. The enemy is upon us. We are praying earnestly. We are praying urgently. Lord, send them out and bring them in. And a second way that we can participate is to give generously. There's no greater thing to which you can give than mission. Every dollar given to mission is stamped with the blood of Jesus. And it sings the praises along with the martyrs that that sing to the lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. And let that be the cry of our hearts and that which we wish to see, the fulfilling of Revelation 7 where every tribe and every tongue and every corner of the earth says worthy is the lamb who was slain. Give generously. Give beyond what seems comfortable. Give beyond what seems reasonable. Give and watch the Lord of the harvest bring his gospel reign on the mission field to which you give. Expect him to bring fruit. Expect him to bless the gift. Expect him to bring glory unto his own name because his worship is the goal of our mission. Mission is fulfilled when every tribe and every tongue proclaim worthy is the lamb, but short of that, 
Short of every tribe and every tongue, let's go. Let's go. The lost are right outside our door. That's the third way is, is to get involved personally. Go and serve. Let me assure you, there's no greater joy than when you are serving on the front lines for the sake of the kingdom. There's rarely an occasion in which you will feel more alive. There's not a, t- a time when you will more personally experience more purely your need for Jesus and his provision and his care and his affection for you and for his lost sheep to which you go. Great, a great church in St. Louis, one of the, one of the sort of uh, patriarchal churches of the PCA, the Kirk of the Hills, wonderful church. Wilson Benton was there for 21 years. Wonderful church. And we went there briefly while we were in St. Louis. And as you leave the sanctuary, there's a sign on the door, and it says you are now entering the mission field. And that says it all. As you leave, as you leave this sanctuary today, you are entering the mission field. He has called us into his gathering. What a blessing. May our hearts just ache, ache for that mission to be fulfilled and that we get to be a part of it. It's a joy. It's a gospel response, and it's urgent. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. We thank you, uh, Lord. Your mission is all around us. We thank you for the wonderful uh, mission agencies and, and, and nonprofits and things that exist right around us with which we are already engaged. Lord, we pray for more opportunities and more burden uh, to, to, to increase in our hearts that we may find even more ways to engage, whether that's through new ministries or whether it's deeper engagement or first-time engagement in that which Cornerstone is already doing with their partner ministries. Lord, may we have and unsettling in our hearts, in our guts, down to our bowels, the deepest places, Lord, that we would be unsettled and that we would move us to compassion and burden for the lost, that we would see them, that we would see them as harassed and helpless, needing a shepherd, and that we would offer them the staff that brings them to the good shepherd and their king. Or fill our hearts with affection, that we would seek the shalom, the welfare of this city in which you have called us and which we love, but it's not our home. Help us to be looking for others and bringing them home. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand.